This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Wednesday, February 22nd. 2023 on today's episode we're going to discuss the latest film and tv news this is slash film editorial director peter serretta and joining me at this podcast is slash film staff writer and box office analyst ryan scott hey hey everyone how's it going uh i should be asking you that ryan like you had your big run uh this past week right I did on uh, Sunday, I guess, if anyone follows me on social media at all, it's all I've really talked about. Um, but yeah, I uh, I ran a half marathon on Sunday, which is something I had never done before and never thought I would do. So, you know, there's that. That is an achievement. I, I, I could not do a half marathon. Uh, what was your time? Or do you mind saying? Uh, no, I have no problem saying I thought I was going to do it in closer to two and a half hours than I ended up doing it in two hours and nine minutes. So a little under 10 minutes a mile, which um, I personally was very, very happy with. So uh, when, when I rounded the corner and you can see the clock, you know, for that last little bit, I, I like I, I was so tired and I had to do the math in my head and I was like, there's no way <laughs> like, I was so shocked. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so it was, you know, I felt really good about it and it was, a. Uh, have been really sore the past couple of days, but it's, but it's been, you know, it felt really good to do it. Okay. We well, didn't have a podcast on Monday because it was a holiday. Uh, so we didn't get to talk about box office. So let's talk about box office. Uh, yesterday, uh, on the podcast, they talked about quantum mania and had a whole spoiler discussion on that. Uh, you know, it, it seemed very divisive, Ryan. It seemed, uh, critics didn't care for it much the the cinema score was low although if you look at the audience ratings on on like imbb and stuff like that it's it's not as uh, the 
it seems like audiences liked it more than the critics yeah they definitely like it more than critics but like the cinema score i think was like a b which is pretty low for marvel you know there, there's definitely some it's not as high as marvel's been in the past yeah by the way i think uh marvel has had five cinema scores that were not in the a range so this was yeah, one so, of them but they've also been a lot of them have been more recent too like it's definitely trending down yeah so oh uh, so i guess the question is does that mean people did not turn out to the to theaters to see quantum mania of course not peter uh it's still marvel and that uh, still guarantees you a certain level of very high success rate at the box office particularly as you're relating to the mcu here so uh through president's day uh which would have included monday uh ant-man and the wasp quantum mania earned 120 million dollars uh for its opening weekend and just through sunday the standard weekend was 106.1 million dollars so it far exceeded expectations despite the reviews. Um, you know, and again, it is it is tied with Eternals for the worst reviewed Marvel movie currently. So uh, MCU movie, rather, um, which, you know, is saying something. Uh, uh, have, have you had your opinion on on the movie on the podcast? I'm not sure. Not on the podcast, I don't believe. Um, yeah, what I did mean, you think? I, I, I felt very numb about it. Like I, I, the Ant Man. I should admit that the Ant Man movies haven't even, you know, well before I started getting a little exhausted with the MCU, the Ant Man movies were not so much my flavor. And you know, this was a, uh, it just, if it, it, it was whatever. Like I just kind of watched yeah. it, and I didn't hate it. I r certainly didn't love it. I love Jonathan Majors in it. And there were things that I really did like about it. I thought the humor actually landed really well in this one. Like where the past couple Marvel movies, I felt the humor was a little forced. Like some of the humor really landed in this one for me, but overall just kind of, eh, you know, but I didn't have a lot of personal investment in it. Like Ant-Man's not yeah. the character I particularly care about. Um, I like Ant-Man more as like a member of the team rather than like the focus. Um, but anyway, so, you know, uh, but yeah, so it did really well. The only problem is like, even like the, the, you know, box office tracking for this weekend already came up and it's looking to drop at least 55%, if not as much as like 65%. So, you know, the, the legs on it may not be great. And it also did not perform particularly well in China, uh, especially relative to, to the other uh, Ant-Man movies. So sure, Marvel's getting releases in China, but because the last handful of uh, Marvel movies didn't open in China audiences have to kind of be retrained to care about these things so you know some hurdles there for sure yeah uh also this past week uh some James Cameron news <laughs> right we did have some James Cameron news uh James Cameron is uh, the unquestioned king of the box office at this point no question uh so now uh, the top four movies of all time reads like this Avatar at $2.92 billion. Avengers Endgame at 2 point, let's say $2.8 billion. Avatar The Way of Water now at number three with $2.247 billion, which just barely overtook Titanic, which is now at $2.245 billion. What's interesting here is Titanic's been in re-release the past couple of weekends. It had been at $2.19 billion. So Avatar The Way of Water and Titanic have been kind of duking it out for position, but Way of Water has just barely overtaken Titanic now. Crazy. Uh, was there any other news to come out of the weekend other than Quantum Mania and James Cameron? Not a ton. Um, you know, Magic Mike's Last Dance, 
expanded greatly this weekend, despite like it opening last weekend. So Warner Brothers at least gave it a fair shot. Um, it did okay. It's held okay. It's it's sitting at about a little shy of forty million worldwide. But the problem is it's against a forty million dollar budget. So you know I don't know if that's going to end up panning out, and it's a shame. But I I you know. Warner yeah. Brothers strategy with some of these movies has been a little strange lately. And there's been a lot of talk that they don't really have a lot of money to run marketing campaigns. So that could be part of it, but, um, cause their financial situation is a bit rough, but I, you know, um, yeah, that's kind of a, that's kind of one of the first sort of bummers of the year that, you know, a, a movie in a franchise that has done very well, typically, uh, you know, hasn't quite done what it needed to do. Um, looking ahead to this upcoming weekend, we have, uh, I kid you not, what is being hailed as the best movie of the year so far, Cocaine Bear. Who's uh, saying hitting, that? Who said that? <laughs> so, a couple of people. So our own uh, Raphael uh, said that, who, who writes for the site, who you, you will know. And again, so far, we're in February, guys. There's a lot of movies coming. But but <laughs> but uh, Cocaine Bear, seem, the, the general buzz seems to be that this movie is very much delivering on the premise. It has, it is, I, I, I put together a little you know, early buzz thing for us and hard to find a lot of negativity in the bunch. People really seem to like it. And, uh, you know, it's tracking for on the high end around 20 million could do a little more. I think it's going to do better than people think it's going to do. And mm. so you couple that with the fact that quantum is already trending down. I think quantum is going to have a rough few uh, weeks ahead, but I think if something like cocaine bear can do well, that's very good for, for mid budget movies, for, you know, kind of big swing original stuff. So that that rings good to me. Yeah. Well, get back to Marvel. I was actually kind of surprised with Quantumania. Not in that. I was I was kind of surprised by the reaction because it doesn't seem like that bad of a Marvel movie. Like I can certainly name off the top of my head five worst Marvel movies in my mind. Uh, some of which were the last three <laughs> or last three or four or something like that. Um I don't know. Uh, it, it's certainly not a great movie, but it does definitely seem. I know we've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but uh, people are having some Marvel fatigue. And there was this report, uh, I think I believe it was last week, from the Hollywood Reporter. They're saying that Kevin Feige and Bob Iger are possibly going to be pumping the brakes and slowing down on Marvel Studios. Uh, Disney Plus TV show releases. Uh, they may delay Echo, Ironheart more. I think the only, I forget what they said. The 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 only two shows that we know are definitely coming are Loki Loki's and Secret Invasion. Yeah, this year. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I, I feel like when you go online, uh, combined with the critical reaction to Quantum Mania. And just like the the feeling that there is some Marvel fatigue going on, there was some headlines all over the internet, basically being like Disney is slowing down on Marvel. Marvel, like it, it just felt like doomsday headlines, Ryan. And to me, it seems like it's Disney is slowing down on Disney Plus. Is what the the real headline is here. What, well, what, uh, what are your thoughts? A little bit. I think that like they're pretty much setting a cap on it, right? Like we're never going to have four Marvel movies again in a year, and I think it's going to be no more like i think it's going to be maybe two shows a year is i think what they're going to aim for so like two shows a year three movies because they don't want to wear audiences out yeah and i think like if you look at me the maybe the least likely person to ever get bored of the mcu i am bored of it 
And I think like phase four did that to me. And I think it didn't help that a lot of the projects really under delivered for me. But the, what really killed it was the absolute sheer amount of them. And a lot of that had to do with the TV show. So I think slowing down on that stuff and it, and it does sort of create a bit of a problem for them because they have a bunch of stuff on the hopper already. So as far as like, you know, then you got to delay some of that stuff, then that puts off other stuff you've been developing. But I think that's better than, you know, so, sort of sort of risking. Because I think the thing is they're getting ahead of it. They don't want to risk audience fatigue. You know, you got to sort of like, okay, if you see any yeah, signs of that, yeah. you got to hit the brakes. I mean, it definitely feels like Marvel has gotten less special. I'll, I'll give you that. Like, I feel like it used to be an event. Yeah. But but particularly particularly I think if you look at it now like even with the maybe let's say a couple of years you know removed like the fact that after Endgame you know you got a ramp up in like the amount of stuff you know at a time when a lot of people argued even people that love this stuff a bigger break might have been nice but then yeah. you start going okay after after this huge event you're going to ramp up even more and I think that was a mistake and I think that a lot of these things had smaller stakes. A lot of them were not, you know, again, the audience scores, cinema scores, whatever viewership for some of these shows would dictate maybe they didn't hit as hard as other Marvel stuff had through the first three phases. Um, I'm not saying like, you know, Marvel is still the envy of Hollywood. People would love to have that asset, but but it it, it is slowing down. And, and if there is a downward trend, you've got to manage that. And I think that like Bob Iger and Kevin Feige are probably very aware of that. Yeah, I, I think they're aware, but I don't think it's the doomsday situation, though. Uh, many of the headlines seem to paint out. Uh, no, it's certainly not doomsday yet, but I think the thing is it could be. Because I think the thing is if this really yeah, yeah. starts to snowball into like a the, the box office keeps going down, the reviews keep going down, these shows don't get watched. Well, then you're sort of Disney Plus is at risk, your annual box office is at risk. There's a lot of problems there if this snowballs. So, you know. It's not doomsday yet by any means, but if they can't get it under control, it, it could be a bigger problem. I think one of the one of the things that I'm thinking about here is like, you know, a big component of what how Disney is losing money is Disney Plus, right? Uh, they've put so much money into Disney Plus programming. Many much of that is Marvel related. You know, those, those Marvel TV shows cost a lot of money to make. Uh, and then, the you know, the, the subscriber uh how many subscribers they're, they're gaining or losing like you know it, it's not meeting expectations but to me i feel like people leave disney plus when there's not a big original tv show to watch do you know what i mean like it, it feels like if there is not if we're not passing the torch between a star wars to a marvel show and it's going to be a lull of some time i feel like that's the time when people unsubscribe uh yeah i mean there's some evidence for that certainly in terms of like subscriber churn but but i do think that disney has other stuff they can lean on and i think they're gonna have to it can't just be marvel and star wars and i think that's the point but i also think that like you know we had a couple of points last year where marvel and star wars crossed over with the release dates that probably wasn't helpful for anybody um you know so i think that the idea is you won't have that crossover anymore um will be the big thing yeah i think you need to do it um you know, old school HBO style where there's one big thing going on at once to promote. And I very uh, much think that's what they're leaning towards right now, for sure. Especially if you go down to two Marvel shows a year, let's say maybe two Star Wars shows a year, because I can't see Star Wars doing more than that. 
um, uh, not not counting the animated stuff, you know, then you have room for one or two other things. You know, you get a willow in there, you get a, you know, mighty ducks in there, whatever it is you're doing, you know, and then that kind of gives you that, you know, one thing at a time. Yeah, I want to I want to talk about also some of other Disney failures over at Pixar, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Okay. Uh, you know, we've talked about Lightyear. We, we love talking about box office on, on this uh, podcast. And we, we've kind of theorized on why box why the Lightyear movie bombed at the box office. But I always love hearing the filmmakers, the people at Pixar, when they have uh, – when they learn lessons. Like it, it seems unlike other parts of Hollywood where they – other parts of Hollywood, they take the wrong lessons. Pixar generally like uh, is willing to take the hard lesson and, and, and understand why things happen. Uh, you wrote an article up uh, about uh, Pixar's Pete Doctor talking about the late year bomb. What did he have to say? Yeah, so Pete Doctor, now one of the heads of Pixar, uh, known to many of you as the director of uh, hits such as Up and Inside Out, um, you know, arguably one of the better directors working today of any kind. Uh, Pete Doctor is an excellent filmmaker. Um, he, uh, so, you know, the, the rap sat down with him and, and uh, you know, obviously Disney recently announced, hey, we're going to do some big stuff with Pixar. We're going to have, you know, a new, you know, Toy Story 5 is coming and you know, so so that but but they've got to sort of try to come out of this hole that they dug in the pandemic, where you know a lot of these movies went to Disney Plus and then Lightyear bombed, and so you know they asked, okay, so what happened with Lightyear? And Pete Doctor is kind of a long quote, but worth reading through here. Uh, we've done a lot of soul searching about that, as in Lightyear, uh, because we all love the movie, we love the characters and the premise. I think probably what we've ended on in terms of what went wrong is that we asked too much of the audience. When they hear Buzz, they're like, great, where's Mr. Potato Head and Woody and Rex? And then we drop them into the science fiction film and they're like, what? Even if they even if they read the material in the press, it was just a little too distant, both in concept and I think in the way that the characters were drawn, that, that they were portrayed. It was much more of a science fiction. And Angus, 
uh, McLean, the director, to his credit, took it very seriously and genuinely and wanted to represent those characters as real characters. But the characters in Toy Story are much broader, and so I think there was a disconnect between what people wanted, expected, and what we were giving to them. Ryan, as uh, someone who writes about box office and theorizes and speculates and uh, tries to analyze what went wrong, wh what do you think of uh, his analysis of the situation? Um, I, I very much think there is an element of what was correct there. Uh, I think, you know, there's audience expectations when you say the name Buzz Lightyear, for sure. But, you know, I think, was it possible to do a science fiction story about Buzz Lightyear disconnected from the toy? Absolutely. Do I think there was a little bit of like, I think part of what almost bit them in the ass was that they almost leaned too much into like explaining the concept away. And I think the big thing is as much as I didn't think it was an issue at first, I do think Tim Allen not voicing Buzz ended up biting them in the ass, you know, a little bit. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, because I do think that like maybe it, you're either you either have audience members that are confused about that or people that then don't care because it's not Tim Allen. So I think maybe in hindsight, that was a bit of an issue, you know, but there, but I think the big thing is that what they're saying there is part of it, but that's not the whole of it. I think that, you know, you can look at the Tim Allen thing. You can look at the fact that there was a little bit of controversy over the LGBTQ relationship in that movie. I'm not saying that do, was do, all of do, it. Do you really think that had a, huge effect on the box office because i don't, I don't know think about, it did i don't know about a huge effect but i'm saying you have to look at the sum total of all of it right because i think yeah. the thing is when people look at a box office bomb they always look at one thing and i think the thing is like it's always multifaceted right because then you have to look at every piece of the puzzle and so yeah. i'm saying any controversy rarely helps a movie you know so because i think then particularly with lgbtq stuff it can have an issue getting through censors in other countries stuff like that um but then you have to look at the fact that it came out like against incredibly steep competition with Jurassic World Dominion, which ended up being one of the highest grossing movies of the year. And then Minions, the rise of Gru, which was also one of the most, you know, biggest movies of the year and a movie aimed at the similar audience. Again, also like I just talked about Pixar released several movies direct to Disney plus during the pandemic, and they didn't charge for it. Like they did with black widow. They said, these are free now. So that sets a certain expectation with audiences. So then, you know, Lightyear had to be the movie to come back and say, no, 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 we're a movie theater thing again. And, you know, yeah. audiences are easy to train. So I think that, <laughs> yes, what Pete Doctor is saying is probably true, but there's more to it than that. And, and I guess my concern is that as a guy who really liked Lightyear, I don't necessarily want Disney or other studios to, to shy away from unique franchise expansions because I think that's a cool idea. It's just that, like, you know, don't please don't learn the wrong lesson from this is what I'm hoping. Yeah. Well, also, Pete Doctor's not going to be like, oh, well, the Disney marketing team didn't know how to sell it. <laughs> he's not going to say that. Um, no, no. But he's also not going to say we spent too much money on it either because it cost two hundred million dollars to make, you know, yeah. which is, you know, I think one of the things Pixar needs to look at in general is the fact that DreamWorks is eating their lunch right now. You know, with Minions, the Rise of Gru had an 80 million dollar budget. Lightyear had a $200 million budget. Puss in Boots, The Last Wish has a $90 million budget. You know, you've got to look at the fact it, uh, Turning Red had about a $200 million budget and it went straight to Disney+. Plus. I know Pixar has a way of doing things, but they've got to look at the market as it exists and be and really look at, can these movies justify a $200 million budget anymore? 
But I don't you think Pixar can make a movie for less. They like the reason why Pixar movies cost so much is they have a uh, usually a five year development cycle. It takes five years to from you know them saying yeah we like this idea to it coming out in theaters, which is a lot more than other animated. Usually it's like two to three years. I think is it, three it, years. That is, is, but but I think that I, I understand they're probably in a cycle with that right now. But they have got. I just don't know if that's sustainable anymore, and mm-hmm. and that is a tremendous amount of money, you know. And I think that you got to. I, I look. I'm no. I don't run that business, but I think because Bob Iger has said we got to look at you know fiscal discipline across the company, and with you know with these movies doing what they're doing, I think you need to look at that, and you need to maybe figure out a way to get those budgets down at least a bit. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm I'm worried about this prospect. I mean, everybody's talking about you know they're going to pull back on Marvel TV shows and stuff like that. I'm worried about them cutting costs and stuff looking cheap, stuff feeling cheap. Uh, you know, them having if they're a- able to you know push the t- timeline of what a Pixar development st- uh, uh, development pro- process is down, like. You know, imagine what we would have gotten from the original version of Ratatouille, which I mean, we all we can look at as the concept art and what we've heard, but it sounded right. like it was headed towards or disaster. Or Toy Story and, Two, we can go yeah. over the, but but it's like okay, but like to that end, did you see uh, did you see Puss in Boots slash the Last Wish yet? Uh, no, I have not. This is on my list of shame for last year. No, point. no, no. It's I just saw it myself like two days ago. It's yeah. incredible. It's incredible. And particularly, it looks fantastic. You know, like it really does look great. So it's like, it's not like, I understand Pixar as a look and, you know, and, and, but I think that, you know, it's not that, it's not to say that like, if your movie doesn't cost $200 million, it's not going to look good because, you know, we have a lot of recent examples of that not being the case. Oh, you yeah. know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse did not cost $200 million. And that's one of the best looking movies of any kind, you know, of the last handful of years. So Again, look, I'm not trying to like, I'm just saying as a guy who loves Pixar and sees it as a haven for original cinema in a weird way, I think it needs to do whatever it needs to do and can do to survive. And $200 million budgets are very difficult to justify in Hollywood the way that it exists. So I hate looking at it like that, Ryan. I I just feel like they need to be more calculated on the projects that they release. And I know that's going to sound like they need to make more sequels. I don't want to see more sequels, but I also think that at, like if you're going to make a spin-off of the Toy Story movie, it can't be about, you know, time dilation and uh people getting old. I don't know, it, it was you can make a adult kids movie at Pixar. You can make an up, you can make a, whatever, you know, uh Wally, but I feel like you can't do both of like trying to make it also a Toy Story spinoff where people expect it to be kind of what what Peep Doctor said broad and you know appealing more to families. Uh, but, yeah, uh, I, I suppose, but you know, I don't want to miss out on the next. Again, Wally is a very you know heady, good sci-fi movie, and you know I think that yeah, Lightyear could have. I don't know. I, we could go in circles about this, but you know, <laughs> well, we are. Uh, okay, let's talk about one last thing for today. Uh, Blumhouse, the company behind Megan and uh, many other horror breakouts from the last few years, is launching their own horror movie or horror video game division, I should say. Uh, Ryan, you wrote this up for the site. Tell us about it. 
Yeah, so uh, Blumhouse, uh, a, a brand that I think is becoming very familiar to moviegoers uh, now. You know, you got, you know, movies like Megan, The Purge, Split, Sinister, uh, even, you know, like found footage stuff like Unfriended. They've had a lot of hits under their belt at this point. So um, they have announced a, a new division called Blumhouse Games, uh, which is, is, is so Blumhouse's whole thing is that they make movies cheap to offer a lot of creative freedom to the filmmakers, typically in the horror genre. Uh, so that's how you end up with Get Out by Jordan Peele. That's how you end up with Sinister. That's how you end up with, you know, Splits. That's how you end up with a lot of these movies that, you know, either birthed a career, revived a career, you know, lots of lots of good things happen uh, as a result of that. And, uh, you know, the nice thing is when you make movies cheap is that even if they fail, it's, you know, you don't lose a ton of money. So um, the idea here is that they're going to do something similar with video games. Um, uh, Zach Wood, uh, who's a video game, um, industry veteran is going to be the president, uh, with, uh, Don Seckler, uh, serving as the CFO. The idea is that they're going to make, um, uh, independent games for $10 million or less. Uh, their aim is to bring their creative vision to life via original horror themed games for console, PC, and mobile audiences. Um, they haven't announced any specific projects yet. But, uh, you know, so the idea is they're looking at the indie game market here. Um, yeah, we had a quote from um, uh, Blumhouse's president saying, for some time we have been looking to build out a team to start accessing the growth opportunity for interactive media. When we sat down with Zach and Don, they articulated an approach that resonated with Blumhouse's model, and we knew it was a perfect place for us to start our push into the interactive space. Uh, with their experience, sensibility, and knowledge of the gaming marketplace, Zach and Don are the ideal leaders to leverage Blumhouse's unique genre strengths into gaming. Uh, so, you know, there we have it. Um, uh, just for context, the video game industry made just shy of $185 billion last year. That absolutely dwarfs uh, movies. So there's a reason they want to get into games. Oh, video games is a huge market. I guess the thing to me is video games feel like even at the lower end... They cost a lot of money. I don't they have can. the figures in front of me. I mean, if, if they're going to be doing mobile games, I feel like you can do that for $10 million. But really, console games? I'm a little skeptical that they can <laughs> make, I mean, make a look, good it's, it's console not, game for that cheap. Well, but but again, it's more about like, you know, an indie game. You know, like I, an example I looked at in the articles, they're making a movie about Five Nights at Freddy's right now. That movie, that game was made very cheaply, largely by one person, I believe. And then it spawned an entire huge multimedia franchise at this point. So I think there's absolutely examples, particularly in the horror space, of being able to do that. Um, and, and, you know, because it, it's not always about a big AAA platformer. There are a lot of indie games that are made for a lot less money um, that, you know, can do well. Like I have on my Switch, I have, I think it's literally just called the Dollar Zombie Game. And it was like $1 and it's just like a tower defense style, um, you know, survival zombie game. And I love playing that game. So who knows? Uh, th it's yeah. possible, certainly. So we're not talking about like the really complex, like I'm looking at a list of the the highest, uh, the biggest budgets, most expensive video games to develop. Star Citizen is at the top of this list and it costs over $500 million uh, just to uh, with 2021 inflation numbers, Cyberpunk 2077, $331 or 331 million. million. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it, 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 you go down this list and it, there's a lot of 
games in the <laughs> how did et in 1982 cost uh the equivalent of 62 million dollars <laughs> oh the video insane. game yeah that's insane yeah that was me. one of the biggest like uh failures like ever in <sighs> in, uh, in gaming um yeah so uh, but i mean yeah but the thing is like the returns can be huge um but what's interesting is you like you know relative to movies it's it's those are the most expensive video games ever made so relative to movies a lot of the time video games are kind of comparable and they can they can generate a lot more revenue so i do get it yeah uh, i'm interested to see if they can somehow replicate this model in the video game industry because uh, i don't know <laughs> if you really look into how blumhouse works and how it operates and you talk to people in hollywood and how much everybody doesn't get paid from for making one of those movies unless it uh you know ends up doing well uh i'm not sure you can replicate that in the video game industry but i don't know we'll see but uh you can find more of all of our stories that we mentioned on today's podcast in the show notes the links are in the show notes you can find uh this podcast slash home daily every weekday on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps uh please send us your feedback questions comments concerns to us at peter and please rate and read this podcast on apple Podcasts. tell your friends spread the word and we'll see you tomorrow. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash i'm downloading the upside app now download the free upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas use promo code car for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank you can cash out anytime right to your bank account paypal or a gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free upside app and use promo code car for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank that's code car